0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle With me, your host, Joshua Smith I hope everyone is having a wonderful Monday I know Monday sucks, but at least you get started off with Break the Cycle Five days a week, you know how we roll Uh, We're always here, uh, unless you know somebody bails on me Someday it's going to happen, I know it's going to happen But uh, we've got a great show for you tonight Let's start off with some sponsors Of course, we have Top Lobster.com, The man, the myth, the legend My good friend and partner on Break the Cycle uh, Where you can get this great Read Mises Not Mark shirt that I'm wearing tonight At a 10% discount by using BTC at checkout Or you can join the Patreon, subscribe star Or become a member of the YouTube channel To get into a private Discord server Where you can get up to 30% off Of new designs uh, Like almost two weeks prior to them Going to the general public Good stuff, worth every penny And of course we have uh, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs Check them out today, see what they can do for your business, home, or personal life they're wonderful people doing an amazing job that the government has historically sucked at, much cheaper and for uh, much or much cheaper and much more efficiently. Guys, we have got a great show for you tonight. Like I said, uh, I'm stoked to have this one. Not only not only because he's a uh, he's a great political commentator and an awesome voice, but also because he's a, a wrestling fan. And you know, I grew up on the on the wrestling spectrum, as I like to call it. But uh, he is a. Uh, Amer- a former American radio host, I believe, a uh, political commentator and uh, wrestling connoisseur, he is Mr. Jack Hunter. How are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, well,
1: there, good to be with you. Been looking forward to
0: this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Me too. So, you, you know, you're really into politics. You're really into wrestling. Uh, you were talking a little bit about wrestling prior prior to starting the show. what What's the new the new wrestling promotion that you watch?
1: All Elite Wrestling. It is owned by the Khan family. Shad Khan owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and has more money than Vince McMahon. Well, his son is probably makes me look like a casual fan. And now he has his own uh, wrestling company. Comes on Wednesday nights and now Friday nights on TNT. And it is super exciting. And uh, yeah. I love it Nice love man it. Mark, Nice nice.
0: Well let's let's talk <laughs> politics first Okay so you've been You've been doing this Political commentator thing For a long time You were uh, on the radio In the 90s uh, I don't know how long That ran for But it was South Carolina uh, yeah. You've worked with On Ron Paul's campaign You worked with Rand Paul How did How did you become I know you, you call yourself You're more like a conservative American conservative But you You, you kind of lean Libertarian Liberty based I'm right
1: a, Sure I'm a libertarian Conservative Conservative libertarian I'm both of those things Um I got involved, you know, some of the young kids will, uh, students and whatnot will ask me, you know, like for a career advice. I'm like, well, I have the weirdest career trajectory ever that nobody should attempt, but it happened and, you know, I'm glad it did. I worked in rock radio in the nineties in South Carolina. One of my closest friends was like their top afternoon G- DJ when that was a thing, like, you know, we're talking like 97, 98 or whatever. And I was a local musician. That's how most people knew me. And um, I, you know, I was interested in politics and whatnot, but it's not what I did. But anyways, he, he, we were at a bar one night watching Monday Night Raw, to be honest with you. And he's like, you know, you should come on my radio show and do political commentary. And you'll be like this anonymous wrestler guy. I'm small. I can't wrestle, but, you know, that kind of character. And I did. And uh, in between, you know, Weezer and Stone Temple Pilots, you would hear this guy ranting and raving about politics. And that was me. And it was popular. I did that for many years on the station. Um, I made that into a career in talk radio later. And I wasn't anonymous there. Um and when I was doing that, was around the time 2007, 2008, that Ron Paul was running for president, and I was already putting my commentaries on YouTube, which had only been around a couple years at that time, started in 2005. And among conservative commentators, even though I was a local guy in you know, a smaller secondary market here in Charleston, South Carolina, there weren't many people getting behind Ron Paul. Um, or even acknowledging that he was a conservative, that there could be such thing as an anti-war conservative. You got to remember, this is the tail end of the Bush-Cheney era, in which being a conservative almost solely meant being for the Iraq War, being for torture, being for the Patriot Act, all that kind of stuff. So it was me, Judge Napolitano, who's way bigger than I am, obviously, and Charles Goyette, who was a radio host out in, I believe, Arizona, who l- later got fired for his anti-war views, were really the only people on the right saying yeah, all those other guys suck. Ron Paul's the real Republican. He's the real conservative. That's who we need. And so that immediately sort of put me on the campaign's radar because I was one of the only people with a fairly large YouTube channel. I think I had a quarter million at the time before it was taken down, as YouTube is wont to do. Um, But that's how I got on their radar. I did not work for the 2008 campaign, though it felt like it. I introduced Ron uh, Dr. Paul at a number of different places, wrote about him all the time. Almost all my YouTubes were about how great he was and how everybody else was terrible. And then I did officially work for the 2012 campaign. I uh, was with uh, Senator Rand Paul, co-authored his book, The Tea Party Goes to Washington. So all things Paul and right-leaning libertarianism within the Republican Party, that's what I was doing, if that gives you an idea of how I got there.
0: Sure, absolutely, man. It's uh, what a beautiful ride it was watching Ron Paul, man. It, I I try to talk to people about it. Now, you you know we we have this Mises Caucus right that's in the Libertarian yeah. Party now that has, is trying to revive the Ron Paul Revolution. We've been endorsed, all of us really has been has been endorsed by Ron Paul. But I got that that personal endorsement last year for my run for chair of the National Convention uh, Committee. It felt really good, man, because you know I remember 2008 and then 2012 as well. But I remember 2008 and how coalesced. We were around the Ron Paul revolution. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there's a lot of infighting in the liberty movement between, you know, uh, Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, whatever other kind of libertarians there are, because there's 100 different kinds. And it's 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 always fighting. It wasn't like that in 2008. And I try to explain that to people. It was like this beautiful, happy movement. Where everyone was working together and, and doing really well And then, you know, trying to fight the Basically the GOP establishment But, I mean, can you give us some some memories of, of working for Ron Paul and working for Rand Paul I mean, what are some of your favorites?
1: Absolutely, so I agree with everything you just said Look, nowadays I like to say to people When we're talking about politics I'm like, I think most of America is where Joe Rogan is And people are like, what, what, what does that mean? I'm like, well, here's a guy who was a Bernie bro But he would vote for Trump over Biden and he has hosts, people on like Glenn Greenwald and Tulsi Gabbard, but also Bernie and also Trump. And you see what I'm saying? You can't really pin him down. He's a smart guy, he's an interesting guy. Um, I think that's where a lot of Americans are. I think the Ron Paul 2008 campaign and 2012, but especially 2008, it was people who were just regular conservative Republicans, which is, I guess, what I I was at the time. Um, people who were apathetic, who never didn't care about politics. I'm sure you remember the slogan "Ron Paul cured my apathy." was popular in 2008. Lots of young people who might have just began getting interested in, in politics. Flocked to Ron Paul, but it was it was a coalition of people who some were definitely right and some were definitely more left favorable or whatever. But um, that microcosm to me is still the coalition that could sort of promote libertarianism. I call it libertarian populism. There there are people who have different ideas of what libertarian populism can be. But Ron Paul already did it at a micro level. He got one million votes in the 2008 primary and two million in the 2012. But I think combining elements of some of the things Trump was successful with at a bigger level and tweaking some of them, uh, that Ron, Rand Paul, some other liberty Republican, you have Massey, my friend Nancy Mace, um, could really lead in sort of promote or project or whatever you want to call it, that sort of broad coalition that we had in 2008, like, look, people get older, things change, new people are born, some people pass away, but it's still sort of the um, the feeling of what that was and these different groups coming together. I think that's part of what the Trump coalition is. I mean, look, his Hispanic vote went up 45 percent, so obviously those people weren't voting Republican before and now are, So, and that's just one example I could give, but I think 2008 and 2012 and the Ron Paul movement that he built— um, could be a pathway to the future. As far as you asked for any stories, uh, boy, I got a bunch, probably some I shouldn't tell. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: it occurred to me, I was writing a, a lengthy piece, a feature for the American conservative. They asked me, I was uh, in the campaign van. It was a van. We didn't have a bus for Rand when he was crisscrossing Kentucky for his original 2010 race. And the American conservative asked me to write a feature because, you know, um, Rand was new on the scene. Uh, a lot of people knew that Ron Paul had a son that was interested in getting into politics but well, this was it and it was pretty new and I always remember and I put this in the piece you know those of us in the liberty movement or libertarians are like you know do they strategize or do this or do that or you know call each other up and I'm gonna what are you gonna do I think you should do this or do and I asked him something like that like do you do that and he just looked at me like I had three heads I'm talking about Rand Paul while we were just traveling And it occurred to me instantly that part of their libertarianism it's so personal to them the way ron paul is and the way rand paul grew up they don't tell each other what to do or even try to or ask or so they just do their own thing and they love and respect each other which is you know individual action (laughs) but uh i don't think a lot of people certainly at that time necessarily understood that that certainly made an impression on me
0: sure yeah absolutely Uh, so like you you talked a little bit about this uh, libertarian populism, right? Okay. I there's there's so many people in the libertarian movement that think populism is a bad word. I've tried to explain it on the show sure. several times that I don't think populism is a bad thing. In fact, I think it's important that we are uh messaging to where people are with our libertarian ideals and that's pretty much what populism is you're you're feeding off of the things that people worry about or care about or want to see happen and you're using those things to push your liberty your, your principles right and and that's you know for for trump he was kind of feeding off some fear for people you know fear of uh, of immigration fear of you know communism fear of these things and using those to message his his platform what, what is populism to you? I mean, just explain it for the uh, for the people on my show. Populism
1: is this simple. It's the little guy against the big guy. Now, our libertarian friends that think populism is the problem, and, and I have people I'm very close to and love very much that think that, um, A, what bureaucrat walking around in the Pentagon who's not a populist by just definition of what this person is, is going to be like, you know what? I think Rand Paul is right about this foreign policy stuff. I'm going to change, help change this agency from within, and we're not going to be an empire anymore. Like, how, how do you get anything we want if it's not people at the grassroots putting pressure on politicians? You see what I'm saying? Right. I, I don't even under, as a libertarian, if you're something else, if you think, like, you know, Joe Biden's plans are what we should be doing and whatever, but if you're a libertarian, some of the things we want to do are a radical challenge to the system. So How do you get there? How do you get there without some sort of populist grassroots upbringing. The Tea Party's greatest accomplishment was the sequester, in which Congress forced itself to cut if it couldn't come up with things to cut. Of course, it didn't come up with things to cut and had automatic cuts and they got rid of that pretty quick, but it was pressure on Republican politicians specifically from the Tea Party that made them do something like that, that was sort of unprecedented. They were uh, for small government in practice instead of just rhetoric for once. But my friends that think populism is the problem, I agree with some of the things we saw, especially during the Trump era, that I didn't like. My biggest one is how we talk about immigrants now. That not, It was great before, but it was just taken to a whole new level. But lo and behold, as I said earlier, Trump got 45% increase in the Hispanic vote. I actually spoke with a, a Latino friend who was in the Mises caucus recently. We were talking about this. Maybe I'll get to that in a little bit. He had some ideas that were similar to mine about libertarian populism. But I would also add to this, that populism is not just Trump now, or Trump, two years ago. Populism is Bernie's movement, Bernie Sanders' movement. It's not principles I agree with, but it's it's organic. It's young people flocking to Bernie. Who's, he is the reverse of Ron Paul, like the oldest guy on the ticket, not a great orator or anything, but kids just get excited that they're principled and, and flock to him. Um, I always like to point out, you know, Jesse Jackson's 1988 campaign was considered a populist campaign. A lot of African Americans got behind that. The Howard Dean run in 2004, that was certainly populist. The Tea Party movement was populist. Populism could be left or right. It could be all sorts of things. H- hell, the GameStop thing in January in which, you know, uh, Robin Hood wouldn't let people buy stocks anymore. That was populist. That was the small retail investor against Wall Street, right? So, the definition of populism is the little guy against the big guy. And if we're libertarians, our, our ideas are certainly not what the establishment espouses. So, we're the little guy. And we're trying to fight the big guy, which is the political establishment. So, that doesn't mean you have to be exactly like Donald Trump. Though, as somebody? I, and let me say this from the get-go. I'm definitely not Never Trump. I don't like those people, um, especially the neoconservative ones, which make up most of the Never Trumpers. Um, but I'm not, like, super pro-Trumpy either. I like some things that he did, and I say that. And when he does things I don't like, I would say that, too. So True. hopefully that answers that. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I think that was uh, one of the better breakdowns we've had of populism on the show. I've had several other people, you know, everyone's, everyone's got a little bit of a different idea. I think it's one of those words that's just gotten so muddy to so many people that some that people are just like, it's bad. It's all bad. It's really, it's really not. It's actually a good thing if you're running political campaigns, certainly.
1: Well, it's funny, you know. One of my favorite conservative thinkers, the man who introduced me to intellectual conservatism, is Russell Kirk, who some of your your viewers may or may not be familiar with. He's the reason that people in the United States who are right leaning call themselves conservatives. Uh, his book, "1953: The Conservative Mind." Um, before that, even Bill Buckley, Bill Buckley used to call himself an individualist, but after Kirk's book. People like, oh, we're conservatives. They started using that word. But he was for, you know, sort of natural aristocracy that there will be elites and they'll rule society and, uh, you know, was against populism, thought populism was bad. But near the end of his life, he was like the Michigan chairman for the Pat Buchanan, you know, 1996 campaign. I guess that would have been 92. But that's about as populist as you get in politics. So my point is. Even he is somebody who really wasn't warm to libertarians, but was conservative, certainly believed in the Constitution, you know, was a Barry Goldwater guy, all that. The only way you kind of get there is doing something populist. So he he actively was against populism, but in his, you see what I'm getting at? Like, yep. how else would you do it? So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you brought up a, a word that you and I both uh, despise equally uh, neoconservatism. And we're, <laughs> you know, it's kind it's, of, we're, we're right on the day we're pulling out of Afghanistan, okay? And there's a lot, there's a lot of really upset, salty neocons around the country today. Uh, I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) And Joe Biden came out and gave a speech today where he basically doubled down on pulling out of Afghanistan. And it was. It was a good speech. It was a good speech. I couldn't believe it. And here's the thing. (laughs) Like. Like as a libertarian, as somebody who despises the Joe the Joe Biden uh, uh, era, right? Like I've never liked Joe Biden. I I didn't like Obama. I didn't like Trump either. You know what I mean? They're all they're all warmongers to me. I think it was great that Trump didn't start any new wars. That was uh, a you know a a feather in his cap, whatever. But uh, as somebody who who went to war under George Bush and then watched these wars in the Middle East just continue my entire life since. It it was, you know, I I wanted to talk bad. I wanted to say something bad about Joe Biden. I really did. And uh, he came out and doubled down.
1: Look, I am not above using partisan passions to promote the principles I believe in. In fact, I think anybody who doesn't think that's worth doing is kind of missing missing the boat. because That's what so much of this comes down to. I say everything is wrestling for a reason. But I'm not going to diminish the principle because it doesn't fall into the partisan passions. Joe Biden's speech today, and look, he's Joe Biden. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. Who would vote for Joe Biden from a libertarian perspective? But my, my thinking would be he's a creature of Washington and whatever the Pentagon says and is the generals around them, they just go you just go out there and say that, right? That's where Trump got into trouble. I think Trump's gut instincts were good in anti war or at least anti-dumb wars or endless wars, but he can let those people get in his ear. If it was Rand Paul or maybe like Tucker Carlson in his ear, he'd be okay or better or make a good decision like he did by not bombing Iran at the last second. But Biden, you expect like, you know, he's just going to do what the Washington establishment wants. What he said up there today about America's role and purpose sounded closer to Ron Paul or Rand Paul or even some of what Trump has said. Um, or even you know, anti-war figures on the left like Dennis Kucinich and people like that. Or hell, Noam Chomsky, if you want to go that far. It sounded closer to that than what you would expect Joe Biden to say. Certainly what you would expect Hillary Clinton to say, or John McCain, or William Crystal, or any of these people. I gotta give props. I'm not gonna be like, yeah, I agree with 90% of that speech, but you're but I still hate you and you're wrong. No, because that's just me being a partisan douchebag. And that's not what it's about. It's a, my main issue, you know, for my entire being involved in politics writing about it thinking about it is being an anti-war conservative libertarian um and i'm not saying that was like a you know abby hoffman at woodstock preaching against vietnam but just the basic precepts of when we're supposed to go or why we're supposed to fight why you're supposed to commit troops sounded like pretty much what most of the people listening to you today believe
0: yeah yeah okay. it was really it was you know i i i you know of course we want to scrutinize joe biden for everything he does because you know he sucks but it was a good right. speech, and it was good that they're pulling out. It almost made, it was almost too good. Like, I almost wanted to be like, okay, what's the angle here? You know what I mean? Well, that, I'm like, okay, maybe we shouldn't. It almost like my my natural like contrarian wanted to be like, okay, maybe there's a reason why we're pulling out of Afghanistan, and it's not good. You know, like, it almost got me for a minute. I, I just am sad that Mike Gravel w- wasn't here to see it. I mean, honestly.
1: Uh, For real, (laughs) absolutely. What a character he was.
0: Look, people,
1: you know, the the people who really loathed Trump, they would get mad. When I would say, you know, he just told my one of my biggest moments. I'm from South Carolina. I know from the accent, it's hard to tell that. <laughs> but um, he was on a debate stage during the 2016 campaign in South Carolina, Bush Country, and that's where he got the wildest about Bush lie. There were no WMDs. You know, those guys belong in jail. Whatever he would say of it, you know, it was pretty radical stuff. I was loving it, and you know, some of the political operatives in the state and on TV were like, "Well, that guy's done." He said that in Bush Country, he kicked ass and carried South Carolina just fine rhetoric matters. When I was on talk radio before Ron Paul ran, I quit calling myself a conservative because people associated me with Dick Cheney. No, that's not what I am. I started calling myself a conservative again, even though that's what I was throughout when Ron Paul ran for president. He made it safe to do that. I'm like, he's a conservative Republican. That's what I believe. I'm that, too, because those labels matter to people. You mentioned earlier, Joshua, how many libertarians are like, well, I'm a minarchist. I'm a man-calf. I'm a blah-blah-blah. And that matters to them. Like, that's important to them that they get the term right. Well, that's true of Republicans or Democrats. That's their identity, right? That's what guides so many people. So the rhetoric is important. If Trump has an imperfect record on foreign policy— but you need a base that pushes for the kind of foreign policy you want. A figure as popular as him saying the things that should be said in the direction you want matters. Joe Biden today, look, I was—I don't know about you all social media, but I've got friends back home who are lifelong Democrats, and they kind of know I work in politics, and they'll argue with you sometimes. I was having an argument last night, a guy i have known for 25 years, you know, card-carrying Democrat, whatever. Well, we have to stay there to protect the women and girls and women's rights and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, look, I'm for, you know, women being protected, being secure, Not, but uh, we can't send our soldiers around the world for humanitarian missions. That's not the purpose of the military. And that's what they would have said during the Bush era. Because I remember, Bush made it flowery. We we're bringing democracy to these people. And look what Saddam did to them. I remember Sean Hannity arguing with Ron Paul. He had torture rooms and rape rooms. Yeah, he had all that stuff. Is it our job as the U.S. military to go around the world? Fixing that, it's not. Well, you had Democrats until just today when Joe Biden gave a speech and basically was making the argument I did to this dude. That's not what we do. You you see what I'm saying? So that rhetoric today from him matters in trying to convince people in different quarters or squadrons. Same with Trump and the right, and what we've done. Same with Rand Paul. Same with Ron Paul. The
0: whole thing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a it's a good thing. You know, libertarians. It's it's going to be hard for libertarians to to do the right thing here and and and. And agree with By the way, speech. Dunkin'
1: Donuts is not, not an official sponsor. I was just thirsty.
0: Do you say Dunkin' Donuts? Is it Dunkin' Donuts?
1: It's not an official sponsor. I was just wanted to be clear.
0: <laughs> it's an official sponsor <laughs> of my fiance. That's for sure. She there loves <laughs> she loves her her Dunkin' Donuts, man. Hi, kid.
1: down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and
0: truth is taking over and it's like her favorite so uh thank you john howe great lawyer from new york check him out he's going to run for some office there uh he threw two dollar super chat said jack jack hunter is a good guy a friend told me really pretty cool
1: that's very
0: nice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Rich Clark, $2 super chat. Thanks. He said, Today was a great day for outing neocons. You're damn right it was. It was good. Damn yeah, right. It was good. Absolutely. It was good. High five yeah. Wherever you are. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen. Uh, Megan McCain and Liz Cheney are both really upset today. So.
1: Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Like, did you see her stupid tweet about my dad would be so upset about? Of course he would. He was a neocon. That's what you people believe. Yeah. But he'd also be wrong. It's funny. When I worked for Senator Paul, um, so, like, you know there's this narrative about McCain and the Trump era, like he was the cool-headed sage and Trump was the wild man, right? McCain had the worst temper. Obama used it in 2008 to run on, that he'd be a hothead. But, like, you remember how McCain would insult Senator Paul and basically say he's a traitor and league with Putin and all this? Basically call him a traitor. I mean, what's worse than that to say on the Senate floor? McCain would apologize Duran, and then, like, two weeks later do the same thing so like he sucks like i you know I, I, god bless his service you know i just don't want to speak ill of the dead but this holding him up as some paragon of virtue or something or somebody we should look towards is just a myth
0: yeah i can't remember if it was uh megan mccain or or uh liz cheney one of them one of them dropped uh on twitter today i feel sick and it's like oh well that's unfortunate but we're All right, cool yeah uh, All right, tell- he- heaven forbid we st- uh don't you know, keep fighting wars forever in the, in Afghanistan. I mean, you know, and and yeah. I I started a trend today on 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 Twitter trying to get people to get uh, the Afghan the Afghanistan papers trending because I think it's a really oh, good time for people to realize that you know
1: Nancy Nancy Mace tweeted that out and was trying to get people to remember that yeah 2014 I think that was
0: nice yeah well it's like look it's been 20 years since the since that war started right uh, mm-hmm. or longer than 20 years that that war is old enough to drink now and. uh the, 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 the documents that, that prove clearly they lied us into that war, into a war they knew we couldn't win, are declassified because it's been so long. So all these people that are like, Af- we can't leave Afghanistan can go and Google the Afghanistan papers right now and see that we never had any business being there. Our government knew we couldn't win the war and we're just wasting resources and, 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 and human lives.
1: And why aren't reporters talking about that? That's the Washington Post did that story. It's not even a conservative outlet or something like that. Their job, Glenn Greenwald's great on this, and I see some of my left friends get so mad because, you know, I guess to them he's joined the other side or whatever, because this is all wrestling. That's what people care about most. But he's absolutely right that your basic mainstream journalists see their job is to protect the Biden administration and don't let this Hunter Biden story out um, you know, this stupid nothing story with Senator Paul and his wife and the stock, and everybody's just like, oh, look, they're just, you know, trying to get rich. It's nothing like that. They actually didn't make any money and like the deadline had passed before you could sign. But none of the reporters do that. Why? Because it's their job to go after people like him and people like us and get us kicked off YouTube and Twitter. And it's his job to protect their job to protect Joe Biden and not want to talk about his son, and not bring up the Afghanistan papers that the Washington Post did seven years ago that gives us perfect context for what's happening right now. Because they're not reporters, they're propagandists.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100% with Michael Malice when he says... Or, or who was it? Was, was it Trump that initially said it? The 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 corporate news media is the enemy of the, the, of the, the public? The enemy of the people. Yeah.
1: Yeah, people, a lot of people got upset about that. I didn't because, look, it, they heard we shouldn't have a free press that criticizes me. What he was saying is we should have a press that tells the truth, even if sometimes they criticize me, but tell the truth about other things too, even if they don't like those narratives. The job of the average journalist today, especially the higher up you go, is to create narratives that are conducive to the politics they like. That's not journalism, but that's what they do.
0: So did you like Trump because he was uh, involved with the WWE at one point?
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> he did shave Vince McMahon's head. Um, yeah. Look, I, I've always said if he was a president, Trump would be my favorite wrestler because, like, I like loud and outlandish and stupid and goofy. And I mean, he's a cartoon character. Um, some of the things I don't, I have an emotional reaction to Bush Cheney. So, like, I guess I have. You know, BDS, Bush, Strange, etc. Sure. You can't say anything nice about them without me just like flipping out inside. Like, I, they've done so much, the worst president in my lifetime. They've done so much damage. But by the time we got to Trump, there's some things I like, things I didn't like. I mentioned immigration earlier, but this emotional, visceral reaction that people who love him or really hated him had, I just didn't share that. So while I had to observe it, and be aware of it, because of what I do for a living, it was almost like a scientist watching lab rats or something like okay they're mad really mad they're mad but i didn't have that so i couldn't share it and some of i I have all my friends i've always kept that personal and political separate but it was almost like something was wrong with me that i weren't as outraged as they were or loving it as much as they were does that make sense Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, well, well, you know, I don't. He said something funny, I uh, thought was stupid. And I'm laughing at it, but I don't think like, you know, civil discourse and democracy is over because he said something stupid. Like, yeah.
0: well, I'll tell you, Twitter got a lot less fun uh, without Donald Trump. Yeah. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> all, those, all those cable news outlets are so sad. He's gone. He he says that. It, go, Greenwald's right about this too. They all their ratings went up. They fear monger. They fear, that's, that's another damn thing, let's get into this. People talking is bad, is bad, let's watch CNN, they know what's going on. Those people fearmonger and stoke fear and demagogue for ratings which gives them more money. And to me that's as bad if not worse than some of the, the so-called populists that we should be criticizing. Sure. So don't give me any of that crap. Um, anyways, that was my aside. That's what jumped into my brain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Joey Bradfield, thanks for the $10 uh, super chat, brother. He said he's met Jack many times via YAL and groups like that. Very nice and still wishes me happy birthday every year on Facebook. What does he <laughs> What does he think about the last eight years of the movement and its future? That's a good question. What do you I'm think?
1: Very, well, I'm an optimist by nature. I think anybody who's paid attention or knows me probably knows that. But it's not optimism just because my personality is optimistic. Uh, we talked a bit, about a little bit. Uh, We talked a little about this at the panel I did with uh, Tom Woods and Michael Mareska at Yale Revolution weekend before last, which was fantastic. Best conference they ever did. I can't wait for next year. But so when I got into this, I mentioned earlier I quit calling myself a conservative because people associated me with with Nick Cheney. Um, I got excited. I knew who Ron Paul was, but I'm like, nobody's going to pay attention to him. And then it exploded. And, you know, I was glad to be proven wrong. But you didn't have, like— a contingency of libertarian Republicans that could make an impact. And now you do. You had one with Amash for a while who left for the Libertarian Party, and he's he's a great force for liberty. You also obviously have Rand Paul. You have Thomas Massey. Um, I think Peter Meyer, who has followed Amash and is a Republican, doesn't brand himself as a libertarian, but damn, if I can find many things I disagree with him on. And he and Amash are friends, and Amash you know, endorsed and supported him. My friend Nancy Mays, who I've known for 10 years, Um, came out of the Ron Paul movement. It's a libertarian. We're both from Charleston. I mean, she's already out there making waves on our issues. And, you know, she was the first female to graduate Citadel. has been talking about Afghanistan and whatnot now. So essentially you have four, five, six people where you used to have one. So that's good because I'm sort of the opinion that you need, if you have ideas, you need people to embody these ideas. We wouldn't be having a serious conversation about socialism in the United States right now if Bernie Sanders wasn't a thing or AOC. It had to be a person, if you, you see what I'm getting at. Uh, we need that too. For a while it was just Ron Paul at the top of the food chain, and now he's retired and he's getting all the rest that he certainly deserves. Um, but there will be others. A lot of people look to Rand. I think there are people who might get elected the next sidle. I'm a big fan of Nick Friedis out in Virginia. I don't know what he's deciding to do. I, I don't know. But I just think he's got all the political talents and he's a principal libertarian. So that's one part of why I'm optimistic. Let me throw into that, too. Young Americans for Liberty, to my knowledge, is still the largest center-right youth organization in the country, larger than college Republicans at this point. Well, they're out there electing state representatives with Operation Win at the door, and the idea behind that is not only to get liberty people in at the state level, when the movement started and we didn't know what the hell we were doing, were are organized at all, when there was an open seat somewhere, whether federal or whatever, we'd be like, where's the local libertarian crazy we know not going to win, but that's what we do and that's all we know. Well, they're building a bench of people who have some political experience who could actually rise and do things. Um, Nancy Mace in my state, as a state representative, obviously she's in Congress now, uh, her big landmark achievement in this criminal justice reform piece, women in prison, when they had were giving birth, were chained. They were handcuffed to their beds, which is barbaric and terrible. No more. And it was a unanimous, unanimous vote. All Democrats and Republicans in the state, Nancy led that. So she'd made that little bit of difference for liberty in my state. Now she's going to do more and other things. and So we have those people already there. Young Americans for Liberty is big and as impactful as it is. I've been to every conference. They're bigger each time, and people I don't know, and that's what you want, because when you do know the people, it's a reunion. It's not a movement. Bind that with the actual issues. When I wasn't even calling myself a conservative, you couldn't be like, yeah, we should get the hell out of Afghanistan. Why did we do Iraq? Ron Paul made it easier to start doing that with his movement, of course, with his son and others that I just mentioned have done. Trump put that in a whole different place. So Trump, whether he was trying to or not, and I don't think he was. It's just what he thinks, allowed what we'd already started to build to explode. Now you're just as likely to run into a red meat conservative who's like, I'm America first. We shouldn't be in endless wars as, well, we got to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. That's what the Bush lingo was, right? Criminal justice reform itself, every CPAC now has a criminal justice reform bill. The, the largest piece of legislation for that was the First Step Act, signed by Republican President Donald Trump. Um, that wasn't even an issue for conservatives before. It was for civil libertarians of all stripes, and certainly just plain old libertarians like we are. But now that's just a regular conservative issue. So things like that, I think you have to be of a certain age and remember how bad it was on the right before Ron Paul appreciate how far we come and how much further we can go using things like Trump and his legacy and the the Liberty Republicans that are there. And what what people are doing in the LP. I don't you know, I voted Libertarian Party in the past, but they're doing some good as well. So I think there's more reasons to be optimistic than pessimistic if you're old enough or just at least aware enough to realize how really bad it used to be compared to now.
0: Sure yeah it's uh, The Bush Cheney area was absolutely Just disturbing for the Republican Party I think that was the biggest turning point I mean that's where we really really got deep into the Um, Neoconservatism Yeah yeah. well
1: let me give you a personal example. I'm sure many people are familiar with my controversy from 2013 and the Southern Avenger thing. I mean, I was before I was a Ron Paul libertarian. I was just like a paleo conservative, and there's still a lot of that stuff I agree with. But part, part of it was like there's there's zero audience, and there's like five of us. It's like, nobody's paying attention to you, so maybe I'm going to run around in a Confederate flag luchador mask and say things that I don't believe now, halfway believe then, half shtick, half whatever, but you were just not on anybody's radar. I've seen people do that since, and it blows up in their face, but like, it didn't matter. Nobody was paying attention to you. If you see, people were paying attention to me because I was on a rock radio station, and they thought it was crazy. But nobody thinking about politics was at least at that time. That's the Bush era, the neoconservatives. And I was talking about neoconservatives eighty percent of the time, even when I was judging, you know, wet t-shirt contests of the, <laughs> the nightclub that the radio station was paying me to, you know, hold a microphone at or whatever. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I uh, the the Southern Avenger was that that was a pretty crazy thing. I know a lot of people know you from that still, man. Yeah, but and uh,
1: I'm, you know, I'm proud of. I don't. I'm not the same person anymore. It was Ron Paul that made me. Not I, I am I mean I believe in the Constitution limited government I even believe in secession if California wants to go they think the rest of America's terrible and Gavin Newsom and destroy their economy whatever I don't care um, but decentralization I'm a Jeffersonian is probably the best label for me um, but I don't to be a white person in the United States and not think that symbol means something different to black people and you're going to convince them that it just means decentralization not slavery and racism is pretty naive. And I had to grow up a little bit and have different perspectives to get there myself. Yeah, so I don't really talk about all that, but that—that's what happened.
0: No, absolutely, no, I get it. I, I've read up on it a bit, and I think I've heard you speak on it a couple times too. And and you know, people's views change. You know, that's it's uh, especially when it comes to political views and all kinds of different stuff. Views on immigration, views on you know, criminal justice system. Your, your views change as you get older and you know, it happens. It definitely happens. I had dumb views. I was a neoconservative, if you can believe that.
1: That's worse.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I was, I, well, you know, I, I joined, I joined the military right after, you know, I was 17 when nine 11 happened. Okay.
1: Right. That probably affected you. I was in my twenties Yeah. that affected you. In a way you're like, well, who's I love my country. Who's doing, and by the way, thank you for your service. Oh, thanks. Anybody who served in Afghanistan, Iraq, all you can do is sign up and do your duty. Our beef as civilians is what the hell is the government doing and why do they put you in harm's way? And we should be holding their feet to the fire on that. True. Those are two separate things. I'm sure you agree with that. You served. I don't need to be telling well, and, you. And
0: war made me uh, not a neocon anymore. You know, <laughs> That's really I, what it did for me.
1: Sounds like you and Peter Meyer, who was a successor, the Republican congressman. He was in Iraq. He, he was in Iraq. He was also there as a contractor later. And I listened to his interview with my friend Brad Palumbo, which is one of the best interviews with Meyer, Um, Who doesn't call himself a Liberty Republican, but you tell me where you find any differences as a Libertarian. I can't, True. but he is vehemently anti-war based entirely on his experience, both as a soldier and a contractor. And before he went into it was not that way had the attitude that you mentioned. Now he was probably older than 17, but or maybe not. I don't know. He's younger than me, but you see what I'm getting at. That's what it taught him.
0: Yeah, well I woke up uh I've told this story a few times. Uh my mom and I didn't get along very well. I was sleeping on the garage floor at a cousin's house and uh I woke up to the
1: cement floor?
0: Yeah like a cement floor on a rug. Yeah. 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 And uh my, uh, I woke up and I, it wasn't my mom's fault. Trust me. I want to, I want to clear that, clear that up with everybody. My mom's always in the super chat. She's the biggest supporter I have. She's wonderful, but we didn't get along. And, uh, I woke up out on this garage floor and, uh, my cousin was like, check, check this out. And I look, I'm looking at the, tw- the twin towers get hit by these planes and going. Uh, wow. you know I'm like uh, what movie is this man and he's like this isn't a movie this is really actually happening right now and I was like holy shit and so I wouldn't join the military because I was like I'm going to go and protect my country I've been, we, we've been attacked on our soil now you know and uh, within six months of joining the military boot camp school and to the fleet I was uh, in the Persian Gulf and we were fighting war in Iraq and I'm going what the fuck is going on here why, why are we in Iraq you know like it, I was like I was under the impression that it was like Saudi nationals via Pakistan that attacked the world you know what I mean and, and and we're at war in Afghanistan and Iraq and I'm going what the fuck is going on here you know and so it was a it was a pretty wild thing it was eye opening for me I kept hearing about these weapons of mass destruction I mean George Bush declared war while I was sitting on the USS Constellation in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the, Gulf, wow. the Persian Gulf so
1: That's- it's interesting to hear people's different experiences, especially nine eleven. I I was already political. I was a Pat Buchanan anti war conservative. Sure. That's what I was. I was in my mid to late or mid twenties, I guess, and I was working for my father's construction company. We were downtown Charleston, and somebody said that it got coworkers like a plane just hit the twin tower. And I was like that, you know, this was a small plane. I didn't even know it was a commercial airliner or anything, and. My mind's like, terrorism? I don't, I don't know that yet. And then when I heard the second one, I absolutely was like, this is a terrorist attack. The reason I thought that, uh, Pat Buchanan's book, I think it was, it's one of his books. He has so many books. But he laid out a scenario in which Osama bin Laden specifically, this is a hypothetical for him, this was Pat arguing, the, making the blowback argument that Ron Paul made to Rudy Giuliani, like when we do things in this part of the world, we can cause blowback in the Middle East he was talking about. But his hypothetical was Osama bin Laden had two nuclear devices explode in a Seattle port. And that's not what happened, but Osama bin Laden did something else on a different coast. And Pat Buchanan predicted that a few years before it actually happened. And he's like, this is the kind of thing that could happen. And that's what Ron basically said, that blowback is a CIA term. And, you know, we're not blaming America. Those people are murderers and need to be dealt with accordingly, which is why we originally went in Afghanistan. But there's nothing wrong with looking for a motive, and there's nothing wrong wrong at looking at your own behavior, what you do in the name of national security that might be making the nation less secure, which is what it did.
0: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we got some super chats. Uh, Bubblegum Gun Man, what's going on? He said, "When are we going to admit this war is not for peace, but for the goals of a certain lobby within the U.S. U.S. government that would love to control the area." To not talk about this certain group is cowardice. Seven dollars super chats, thanks, man. I think I think he's probably talking about the scientist lobby. I get it. I get it.
1: Yeah, that, that's so tricky. And people say uh, there. I mean, there's interest. So we know that. But you know, people like to throw around words that could be misconstrued as anti-Semitic. But on the other hand, people like you can't talk about this issue, or you're just automatically anti-Semitic, which is what the neoconservatives do. I don't think that's fair. But uh, I'm not going to spend the rest of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> getting Get to get to that hornet's nest, but yeah, I you know, uh, what was it, Ron? That said it, or somebody's like, there's more, might even Rand. I don't know, probably more, um, I don't know who said it, but I, I heard it. There's more honest debate about American foreign policy in the Jerusalem Post than there is in the United States media, sure. So like in Israel, you can talk about these things in a more free way. Than you can in the United States because of all these bugaboos about who's a racist or anti Semite when they're really not, when they're just talking about actual things that are happening with the Palestinians and different things. So,
0: sure. Yeah. And I've, I've had people on my show and, and myself to criticize, uh, you know, the Zionist apartheid state of Israel and, and, um, you know, I'm Israeli. Like my dad's side of the family's from Israel, right? Like, yeah. I'm half, I'm half Israeli. So, so, okay. uh, so when people call me anti-Semitic or a Jew hater or whatever, it's always, it's always for a good laugh for me. Cause I'm just like, okay, whatever. Right. But. Well,
1: there, there are nasty people who are that way. And like the, you know, they're acting like they're having a, an intellectual conversation, but they really are like racist POSs. So there's that too. It's, it's all a mix and it gets confused and it inhibits honest you know respectful conversation
0: i think yeah yeah absolutely it's one of those things you don't criticize because if you do though you'll get it's just like it's just like criticizing the left and getting called a nazi it's the same shit it's you know it's right. they just throw out words that that try to shut down stifle you know productive conversation because they know that you're right
1: the most destructive language coming from the 2016 presidential campaign was not from Donald Trump. It was from Hillary Clinton when she denounced the alt right and was calling out all these alt right idiots by name who are basically white nationalists. And basically, coming out of her mouth, it was making regular Republicans who weren't racist or, you know, be like, well, they must not be so bad because, she, you know, this is the same people who thought Mitt Romney was a racist in 2012. And, you know, anybody on the right's a racist. They just keep hearing that so long that when some actual white nationalists come along you know richard spencer whoever they're like the average voter they hear it come out of hillary's mouth she doesn't but she didn't care she's so self-serving she wouldn't have gave that speech joe biden gave today i guarantee you no. that um but you see what i'm getting at that was one of the most damaging things but the people i guess i'm talking to would say trump said the most damaging things but i just don't think that's true well think it and let's
0: be clear there's not there's not a clinton in the world that would have pulled us out of afghanistan
1: I think Bill more than Hillary. Yeah. My read on Bill was that, like, he just liked being president and chasing women. And, yeah. say, hey, Bo, I'm going to play saxophone on Arsenio Hall. Like, that was his thing. And she's more of the ideologue. Sure. I really sure. do. I think he's a neoconservative ideologue and would have stuck to her hawkish guns. And Bill's just glad to be there. I think maybe Biden's like that. And I would prefer that. Like, that's better. Like, yeah. not having an ideological center or, or anything. Well, I, like, I should take it back.
0: George Clinton definitely would have pulled us out of the wars long time ago yeah he would have he would have he he would have funked us right out for sure uh we got another ten dollar super chat from tj Fitzsimmons. thanks man new member of the show too last week uh scott horton versus bill crystal october 4th gene epstein needs some props for rescheduling it without bill dropping out scott is going to just smash it are you familiar with that
1: yeah crystal did agree to it
0: yeah it sounds like it It sounds like they rescheduled it for october 4th
1: Scott is only not only a great guy, but a great debater for our side. Um hell yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. Is it the case? Is it the regular debate or- Yeah, I think
0: it's it's probably gonna be uh Gene usually does Oxford <laughs> debates. Uh, at his okay. at his place in New York, there. So that's probably going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I've had I've had Scott on the show twice. And actually, uh, for for you guys that don't know, he's back on the calendar uh, on uh, September third. But it's going to be a three man show with myself, uh, uh, Scott Horton, and also Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center. So it's going to be an awesome, crazy Great. show, man, crazy show. What's that?
1: I haven't seen Michael Bolden in a
0: long time. He's also been on the show once. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun show. And I'm not gonna basically just gonna sit there and let them talk because you can't get a word in edgewise with either one of those guys, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. Sure. Um But so so uh, let's what do you got coming up next, Jack? We're we're getting close to the end of this uh, this public stream. Then we're gonna hop into the members only stream and talk about wrestling for a little bit. So you guys, if you you guys want to come and watch the wrestling talk with Jack Hunter, you guys got to join the channel membership uh, underneath any of my videos. Just join, link it's six bucks a month. You get uh, awesome cool emojis for the chat. Uh, You get really cool custom badges, and then you get to watch all the exclusive after hours live and chat in there and ask questions and stuff like that. And there's like thirty after hour streams up on this channel now too so but jack what do you got coming up man
1: well in the immediate sense um i'm debating bishop of the mises institute if any of your uh viewers are familiar with him
0: he's also been on this show
1: (laughs) okay well there you go Um, we're debating libertarian populism and what that means because we both agree that libertarian populism is the way to move forward we have very different ideas i think and we'll find out tomorrow um about what that means or should mean or could mean or how far you should go, and we're doing that for Town Circle. If you look up Town Circle on Twitter, I'm sure they have the links if you follow me on social media, I'm tweeting about it and so, and I think it will air tomorrow at three o'clock. Oh, so, cool. and that's to raise money for people in need for for the hungry, for the homeless. It's to raise we've raised, I think close to five hundred dollars so far, and uh, you know hope to raise raise some more. Um, I have my YouTube channel. I started doing YouTubes again. That's how I started all of this crazy Jack Hunter stuff that I ended up doing. And I just like doing them. But it's brand new. If you want to find that and subscribe, uh, you can read me in the Washington Examiner. Um, I've been contributing at Liberty Tree, um, different places that I write. And uh, I'd love love to see if if you give me a follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Jack, man. I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your voice. And uh, you're you're awesome, man. If you could just stick around for like, Two or three minutes while I close out the stream, sure. we'll start the uh, members only stream, and we'll get into that heavy wrestling care? conversation. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll Thanks, brother. All right, guys, another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. Jack is just the nicest, coolest guy. Man, definitely go give him a follow, Jack Hunter seventy four on Twitter, and check out all the cool stuff he's got coming up. Man, you guys are you guys are gonna enjoy that. Uh, he's been around a long time. He's seen it all. Uh, he's fun He's fun to hang out with um, And if you guys want to come and watch our wrestling Stream then join the channel membership Or become a patron or subscribe star At Break the Cycle JS for both of those things And uh, you can get it uploaded Tomorrow but you also get into the private discord Server where you get the cheap uh, new top Lobster gear all that great stuff Man it's, it's a pretty cool deal if you get One of the lower paying like the $6 on the YouTube or the $5 on the Patreon or subscri- Subscribe star and you're buying top Lobster gear as it comes out you're actually not Paying anything uh, to be a member of the Patron so uh, definitely check it out If you get an opportunity guys coming up on the show Tomorrow I'm stoked I'm gonna have Patriot J on the show I'm really excited about this This guy's super awesome Uh, Grifty award winner from Hoteps Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun Of course, on Wednesday, Eric Jackman does one of the best Trump impersonations you've ever heard. He's a professional funny man, awesome guy. I'm really excited to have him on. He's on the Reed Coverdale show, Four Horsemen, all the time. Uh, On Thursday, we're going to have Shane Hazel from Radical Podcast on. Uh, Shane is also running for governor of Georgia. We're going to hash some stuff out and hang out for a while. We always have a good conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then on Friday, Jared from Hoppian.org will be on the show to absolutely destroy all the low bursts. It's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, uh, definitely stick around. Definitely hit that subscribe button if you're checking this out. Uh, just because it's free and it helps the algorithm. Thumbs up the video. I'll see you guys on uh, tomorrow for Tuesday's show with Patriot J. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle.
1: have to explain, the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain, a violent call the action and a the refrain, but I just meant it in Minecraft, the helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do, so when you violence you commit, I am not an excuse, cause I just meant it in Minecraft. A chipper is my friend and he's constantly called Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just it a Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate for Unless it's still a process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There's Nothing I mean, you know it I'm trying to get us getting close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm a poet In Minecraft, in Minecraft